South Africa just won the Rugby World Cup. Congratulations. A lot of action and celebration will surely occur for this event. And there's somewhere else in this country where action never stops, and it's below. Expect to learn in this second exclusive episode the direct relationship between orcas and kelp forests, what are the main species and sea giants we can find in South Africa's waters, what are the main ecosystems found along the coast and in the open ocean, a mind-blowing study from the University of Cape Town, and much more. So first, let's take a look at South Africa from space. So it is a country that is at the southern tip of the African continent. It is surrounded by four major islands. First one is Madagascar. So Madagascar is a huge island which holds thousands of endemic species. Endemic means that it's unique to this place. It also has a lot of forests, tropical of course, reefs and beaches. Another island that is completely at the opposite of Madagascar is Edinburgh of the Seven Seas. It is a unique locality in the Tristan da Cunha island that had 246 inhabitants in 2019. In fact, there is only seven family names in the whole population because these family names are directly linked from the first people that colonized this island back in time. Going even more south, there is Alfred Four Island, which is a scientific research lab that is part of the four French overseas territories. But let's not go too far and go back to South Africa. So, its most impressive ecosystem is the kelp forest. You can find them along the coast, but very concentrated in areas like the Agulhas Bank Complex, the Robben Island and the Namaka National Park. They are all three marine protected areas, for good reasons and I will explain why. Kelp forest is basically a powerhouse that functions because of CO2. Because yes, carbon dioxide can be solved in water. It's a temporal phenomenon, but still. Since it's a giant photosynthetic machine, it can go up to 40 meters in some places, not colonizing places that are deeper than 100 meters. Through this carbon-consuming protocol of photosynthesis, they utilize sunlight, water and CO2 to produce then energy and oxygen. Their rate of photosynthesis is high, which means they can rapidly convert CO2 in organic matter. It's stored in kelp forests primarily in the form of biomass, which includes the kelp plants themselves and the various organisms that inhabit the whole forest. This biomass acts as a carbon sink, meaning it effectively removes CO2 from the atmosphere and stores it for an extended period. Think about it, even when kelp plants die, they remove carbon. The organic matter sinks to the ocean floor, where it can become buried and preserved over time. This process, known as carbon sequestration, effectively removes it from the atmosphere, preventing it to be released back and causing greenhouse gas effect. We also hear a lot of the time that everything is linked in an ecosystem. Well, this is true with kelp forests, because imagine a kelp forest, pick one, imagine it in your head. Often there is four species in these environments, there's sometimes orcas, mackerels, sea otters and urchins. The mackerels use this place as a shelter because they can easily get wrapped around the fronds and hide from predators around them like sharks. And orcas, in our case. Urchins, on the other side, they feed on these fronds. They reach the basis of the frond and they start eating it to nourish themselves from this organic free matter. The sea otters feed on urchins, which means that they kind of regulate their population. Now, the orcas usually feed 
on mackerels. But fishing drastically reduces the number of mackerels. Well then, the orcas will feed on the sea otters, which then will impact the regulations of urchins. It's tricky because you get a whole loss of balance in this ecosystem, simply caused by a snowball effect, starting from one missing little piece. I use the example of cap forest here, but you can apply it to a lot of other different ecosystems like coral reefs or, I don't know, um, even mangroves for example. So my point is that nowadays there's a big threat on smaller ecosystems in the ocean. In other news, researchers from the University of Cape Town recently published an interesting article about the characteristics of species discovery. So these characteristics are represented by statistics and curves that show the cumulative number of discovered species over the course of time. Different factors can influence them. For example, areas with many rare species and few abundant ones have a curve with a gradual increase. In contrast, areas with many abundant species and few rare ones have a curve that quickly reaches a plateau or a constant number. Once this number of species is plotted over time, predictive models are used. So these models help estimate future patterns of species description by considering factors like the area size, the complexity of the fauna, and the accuracy of the species list. Predictive models provide estimate of total species richness and even the effort needed to achieve a satisfactory level of completeness. Previous studies on marine species have revealed interesting findings also. For instance, investigations in British and Irish seas have shown high discovery rates for smaller organisms, even in well-studied areas. Cumulative statistics of open-water marine animals suggest that there may be up to 47 species yet to be described. Comparisons across latitudes and regions suggest that the true number of species is higher than the one currently described. For example, in European marine environments, it is estimated that there are between 667 and 3,337 species still awaiting to be discovered. Moving on to the giants of the South African waters. So in terms of size, the southern right whale and the humpback whale are both massive creatures. The southern right whale can reach lengths up to 15 to 18 meters, this means 49 to 59 feet, and weigh around 40 to 6 tons, which is absolutely enormous. The humpback whale, however, can grow up to 14 to 18 meters around the same length and weigh approximately 25 to 40 tons. In the food chain, both whale species are considered to be at the top, so as apex predators. They primarily feed on small marine organisms, such as krill and plankton, using baleen plates in their mouth to filter out their food from the water. As filter feeders, they play a vital role in maintaining the balance of the marine ecosystem. They control the populations of their prey. We saw it earlier with our example of the kelp forests with orcas and urchins. Next, sharks. So the great white shark is known for its impressive size and status, also at the top of the food chain. It grows up from 4 to 6 meters and weighs around 1 to 2 tons. As an apex predator, it regulates the populations of, for example, seals, sea lions, and even smaller sharks in some rare cases. It is known for its powerful jaws and hunting abilities. Also, evolution actually shaped the color of the great white shark. It has a dark upper body and a white downside body. We can link this particularity from his hunting techniques. The great white shark always strikes from down. 
So let's imagine a sea otter swims at the surface. The great white shark will always swim under it, waiting for the right moment. And when he feels like it's the right moment, he swims at full speed towards the surface to catch the sea otter. This is how it works. So we can link up this dark upper body to the fact that he swims under to catch his prey. Lastly, the giant manta ray and the Goliath grouper are also significant giants in the South African waters. The giant manta ray can have a wingspan to 7 to 9 meters and weigh around 1 to 2 tons. It is a filter feeder, just like the whale shark, and consumes large quantities of plankton, also small fish sometimes. Goliath grouper, on the other hand, is a massive fish that can reach lengths to 2 to 3 meters and weigh 200 to 400 kilograms. It's a formidable predator and feeds on a variety of fish and crustaceans. If you want to stay informed about upcoming episodes or even suggest topics for future discussions, don't hesitate to subscribe to our podcast and send us a message on Instagram at oceanexplained underscore. That's Instagram at oceanexplained underscore.